Well, thanks so much, Jason, and thanks for all of you who came this morning. Um, I feel like I should come back next week because that's when it's going to be really gnarly, like when you talk about the church in particular. Like, I kind of want to be a fly on the wall for that because be, that'll be exciting uh, to see because I tend to talk, you know, in, in generalities and go from church to church and, and different groups. Um, but I do appreciate your graciousness in inviting me back. Uh, yeah, my, my date in November, I so apologize. I woke up just throwing up. I had a crazy case of vertigo that I'd never had before, and uh, it was ridiculous. And, um, and as I told Jason, I said, November was bad, and then it got worse. Um, so December and January have been terrible. Um, I also managed, for those of you who were here in November, um, I had a surgical shoe on my right foot. Now I had surgery on my left foot twice because um, it got infected. So uh, all kinds of craziness. And as a result, I've been off of my, I have rheumatoid arthritis as well. So um, this is like if, you know, people will say, you know, oh, are you cursed because of being single? I, maybe, I don't know. Um, so I have, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and as a result of the surgery, I've had to be off all my meds, so I am completely flared from head to toe in my joints, and so I have limited use of my arms right now. <laughs> so when you come and shake my hand, I'll just go, boop, boop, boop. Um, and that'll be it, but it's, it's great to be here. So, um, but, you know, when I was in high school, I... Um, I did well in like writing and liberal arts and that kind of stuff and I loved to read I loved all my writing and literature classes and I was determined that at some point I was going to get a a Nobel Prize for literature Um, instead I'm known for being single and I'm not sure (laughs) if that's a a trade-off or that's a good thing I mean that's kind of what I write about and speak about now but uh, I found that being in this space and, and getting to meet people literally across the world uh, who are navigating some of the same challenges that I have has been a true privilege, and so maybe the Nobel Prize will come at some point in the future. Um, I did not get it for this book, so maybe I'll have to, have to write again. But, you know, for those of you, okay, so first of all, this is going to be super awkward because I'm going to ask you, who in here is actually single? And by single, I mean like you are not married. It's not, you know, people are like, I'm not single, I'm dating someone. Okay, no. I mean like marital status, who is actually single? I feel like that is everyone except Jason. I don't know if I just saw, that was a whole sea of, okay, good. So, so we're in good company. We're kind of all, all here. And uh, so many of you... Um, Maybe we'll have to force some more of the marrieds to come, you know, <laughs> get, up, get up in their grill and be like, no, seriously, you need to listen to us. Um, but but it's, it's funny because, of, because I speak on, on singleness so often and, and some of the things surrounding that, and Jason mentioned I work with boundless.org at Focus on the Family. Um, our primary tog- target audience is uh, college through 30-somethings, mostly single. And uh, really the two felt needs that I hear from them are... One, navigating the relational space. So whether that is, you know, of course, um, dating and relationships and stuff like that, but also how do I relate to my parents uh, now as an adult? What does that look like? Uh, I've moved out of the home. How do I relate uh, in friendship? What does that look like? What do I do within the church? Um, So just relationships. And of course, dating and prep for marriage is, is big there. But then the other thing is just how do I rock out the single life as a Christian remaining hopeful, not being like super weird, not getting bitter, um, not becoming a crazy cat lady, not, <laughs> how do I just do this well and, uh, and really honor God in the process? And so I want to, I want to talk through a couple of those things today. I do a lot of media, uh, 
radio and, and uh, some have done some TV in the past. And it seems like whenever, uh, whenever Valentine's Day rolls around, I get all these requests, you know, to be on radio shows. And it's like, can you please talk about how sad it is to be a single person at Valentine's Day? <laughs> and sometimes they're just honest and they'll just literally say that. They'll be like, we just want to talk about sad, single awareness day and whatever. <laughs> and so I tend to do the, do the rounds around Valentine's Day. And um, one year, I was actually on this nationally syndicated Christian radio program, and the host was talking through, and he's just a sweet, sweet man, and he is about middle-aged and married and has adult children, you know, so he's just kind of deer in the headlights as I'm talking. And, um, but he, we were talking about some of the griefs of singleness, and I had talked, and I, I share some of these in the book, but really the realization for me as I... Um, when I turned 30, and I open, open the book with this story, 30, my 30th birthday was the day kind of that I realized that my being single kind of hit me with full force. Because up till that point, I was just trying to like get my life together. My 20s were this wasteland of like, do I even, can I even get a job? Am I employable? You know, I was doing like really cool things, then really lame things. I tempted a lot. I moved all over the country. I had a liberal arts degree, which clearly isn't a ticket to, um, you know, financial security by any means. So, um, so I was kind of just a mess. But then 30, I was like, okay, I should like be somewhere at this point. And like, honestly, I thought I would be married and why? And I was actually in Minnesota visiting my family there. And uh, I also had to go to a funeral that day. So it was just a big downer, the whole thing. Um, but I remember just thinking to myself, wow, like what, what did I do wrong? I am not where I thought I would be. And just wrestling with that and realizing at that point that there were some griefs that I was going to have to walk through. And so if I, you know, if I back up, you know, even just a few years now and kind of collect the griefs um, and, and walk through them, I will never be married in my 20s. I am past that. I will now never be married in my 30s. I've crossed the 40 milestone. Grieving those decades and the fact that that will never be available to me was, was a process. And realizing that those stories that I thought would be scripted in that way, I had to let go of those. Those were griefs. My dad died um, when I was 30, and so my dad will never be at my wedding. So I have had, should I get married? Um, uh, at this point, I jokingly tell people, like, we will, I will get married, like, wherever it is handicap accessible, because at this point, like, my age and my peers, we will just have to, like, file in in our little walkers and whatever, so, um, so, but he will not, you know, he will not be at my wedding, and so I was walking through these things with this radio host, and he just paused, and he's like, oh my goodness, he said, and, you know, and I figured he was going to say something very kind or whatever, and he says, yeah, he said, and, um, you know, and what about, what about kids? Because I guess those are out of the picture for you now, too. And I'm just like, well, thanks for bringing that up. Because, you know, if I hadn't gone through enough, now well, let's just start talking about kids. Um, but it was, just, it was just cute. And you could tell, like, he was so wanting to understand where I was coming from and what my unique challenges were. And some people do that well. This guy did that well. And I felt like he really had an open ear for my, um, for my situation and for my concerns. Um, some people don't do that well, um, you know, and, and I've had that too. I remember being at, at church one time and it was a women's event and I sat down, we were all assigned at tables and a woman uh, turned to me and she's like, the first thing she said was, so are you married? And I was like, no, I'm single. And she's like, oh, no kids, no. And she said, do you wanna be married? And I said, yeah. 
And she said, yeah, well, I totally understand where you're coming from because it was, I think I was 24 before I got married. And <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> I think I was 24 before I figured out that I was an adult or whatever. So um, anyway, and uh, uh, I remember too, I think I told this, this story um, Saturday in, in November, but I remember walking to... Uh, I was in my late 20s, probably, and walking into a church. I was new to the town I was in, visiting churches, and you know you've been there too, and you're like, how do I navigate this church space? Where am I going to go? And I, I always went on full tilt. You know, I was always like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to their, like, community groups. I'm going to go to a Sunday school class. I'm just going to jump in and really see what the full experience is. And so I walked in, and they had their welcome desk. And I walked out, and there were just two friendly-looking people there. And... Um, the woman said, oh, you know, introduced herself. And I said, yeah, I'm just new to town and looking for churches and stuff. And I said, I'm single, 28, you know, is there class that I would be best, you know, be a good fit for me? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, um, we have got a class for um, singles and others with special needs and disabilities. And Mike here will walk you down there. And no quote, no joke, that was, those were her words. And so I went down to that class, and I remember sitting in that class and thinking to myself, if I ever write a book on the singles experience, I'm going to write that. Because it was just, they were just totally, like, earnest faces. Like how, <laughs> so I went, to the, um, I went to the Sunday school class for singles and those with other special needs. Um, so, but... You know, I could sit here all day and be like, this is why singleness is so hard, and this is why I'm blah, blah. But um, the other side of the coin is that for the first time in U.S. history, there are more single adults in the U.S. than married. Um, so we basically own the picture, people. Um, but at, at the same time, I truly believe, and I say this to my Boundless fans all the time, that God, the, the biblical default, I mean, God is a huge fan of marriage. Um, 87% of people will be married at least once in their lifetime. And single adults, 93 to 96% of you want to get married and assume that you will someday. So to ignore that fact is kind of ridiculous. Um, to ignore it in culture, to ignore it in the church. Um, it's that weird elephant in the room where, you know, I've been in churches and I've talked to many pastoral staffs where I say, you know, okay, you know, why aren't we talking about this? Or why aren't we acknowledging kind of the hurt and some of the needs around relational stuff? And usually what I'll hear is, well, we just don't want to make singles feel bad. We don't want to make them feel like second-class citizens. We don't, and that is all good stuff. But to ignore the conversation is not really helpful, which is why I appreciate that um, New Life North and downtown are really opening up the conversation to, to acknowledge that. Because again, two-sided coin, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of grief around singleness. There's a lot of people who are single who don't want to be there. There's some people who love it and who are rocking it out. Um, I find that a lot of the people who are rocking it out, they hit 29 and then they're not rocking it out. And so it's like you have to kind of acknowledge where people are in their life stages. But, um, but at the same time, I speak on college campuses and I've had 21-year-old girls in tears come up to me, Lisa, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. I'm not in a, you know, long-term relationship and I'm graduating, you know, and, and I'm just like, you are so precious. I mean, because I'm just like, seriously, wait a few years. And, um, 
But then I have to remind myself, she is the oldest she has ever been, and she probably feels, you know, yeah, like a, like a has-been, and I could be in my 30s or now past 40 and, and think the same thing. And so, um, so it's, I, I'm really grateful um, to, to have that conversation. And so one of the things that I want to talk about, and really this is just, you know, having, like I said, I never expected to be single this long. Um, I didn't think this was going to be my story, whatever. Um, my mom, I have, my mom actually lives with me. She's precious. She's, uh, I'm the youngest of six kids. So my mom was well into her 40s when she had me, so she's now in her 80s. And um, she used to always tell me, you know, Lisa, I don't know why this is so difficult. Like, you know, I just, she, she met my dad in Christian college, stalked him at some basketball games, went to a senior banquet and got married. And she's like, this is easy. This is not, you know, shouldn't be that hard. I'm like, Mom, it's not that easy anymore. Trust me, you know, I'm like online, and I'm like, you know, trying to do background checks on people, and doing, you know, and she never had to do any of that. And so, um, but you think, and and you would hope, and this is where I kind of want to land, that whether you are hopeful for marriage or not, whether you are heading towards marriage or not, that you would find the church in particular and the body of believers in general to be a safe place and a welcoming place and a place where you can truly plug in and be known and know others and live out the Christian life in the way that it was intended. Because that is something that is a mandate regardless of your relationship status. And I think we often cordon that off. And so what are some of the challenges? Um, the first thing is, you know, I'll just put it out there because I think even Jason acknowledges this, that... Um, Churches in the U.S. are largely programmed for families. Um, Now, this seems silly to say this here because you guys are in probably what I would consider a near ideal situation for both a (laughs) both a single demographic and a younger demographic. For those of you, so I mean, I would say you know if, if you think you're all like desperate and sad, well, you should go to some of the other churches I talk to, where it's like people, I mean, people are like, I don't even know a single person in my church, I don't even, um, you know, I've had people describe Boundless, which is largely a millennial ministry, as like, yeah, that's our ministry for college students, and I'm like, no, it isn't, it's like 20 and 30-somethings, you know, see, they always think, like, if you're single, you're probably in college, or you know, whatever, or you just don't want to be married, you've just chosen that way, you know, my mom says that, you know, she's like, she, she treats me as though I'm getting, like, proposed to, like, every weekend, and I'm just turning people down, like, one after the other, like, you know, it's totally my choice, you know, I could have been married a million times by now, but I'm just so picky and whatever, um, and you see some of that in, in the church, um, so churches are just programmed for families, you know, and you know that. Um, if you look through the average church bulletin or whatever you want to call it, it's there's kids choirs, there's family events, there's, you know, Sunday school, there's VBS, there's Awana, there's all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, maybe there's like a corner sometime for the, what the single people are going to be doing. Um, speaking of uh, Valentine's Day, uh, one of my good friends lives in Orlando, she goes to a large church out there, and they were, she sent me a copy of their bulletin, and they were listing all their Valentine's activities, and it was like a, you know, a couple's dinner, you know, whatever, all kinds of other things. And then there was a singles thing, and uh, it actually said, like, we're going to have a singles event and come and prepare, be, be prepared to date Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think Jesus wants to date me. I mean, <laughs> I don't... 
he certainly doesn't want me to just show up at church for an evening and be like, you know, he's my date, you know, whatever. Um, it was just so hilarious, like, just to see it in print there. Be, you know, come and, and date Jesus. And, um, and I tell that to people, too, because a lot of people will give this kind of Jesus is my boyfriend language and stuff. And I'm like, okay, Jesus is not my boy. I don't even see that in the Bible, first of all, <laughs> that Jesus is my boyfriend. Secondly, this idea of, like, you know, let's just date Jesus, or Jesus is my spouse, or he's my whatever— Jesus is not going to come and fix my fence when it's broken at my house, okay? He has not given me flowers. He has not. So I feel that's not helpful, you know, when we, when we program in that sense. But um, so programmed, uh, programmed for families for sure. Um, one of the other big perceptions that I think is, is problematic in the church um, and elsewhere, and because I'm going to be honest here, um, this is, I know this is being podcast, so who knows if my focus executives will hear it, but I'll still say it. Um, that is that I feel like largely in churches and in family ministries, uh, it, we are, we are, um, it is put out there that singleness is a problem to be fixed. So until we fix this problem of singleness in general, and until we fix single people in particular, they, they cannot be used fully in the church. We can't really understand them. We can't, there's going to be a lot of hurt and a lot of... Um, which leads into the third misperception, and that is this idea that singles are somehow incomplete, unhappy, perpetually bitter, always looking for something beyond ourselves. And so uh, I think that's going to take a fair amount of, um, fair amount of counter, uh, <laughs> kind of counter teaching in that sense. To that point, I get a lot of the opposite as well. Um, if you have ever, um, I don't know if you women in particular have ever tried to tread into the world of the church women's retreat, um, I have. And uh, I, go, I actually go to Village 7 Press here in town. It's a relatively large church. It's a good place. Um, I mean, not as good as New Life downtown, whatever. But, um, but I make it work. So, but, um, but so I go, I've gone many years to our women's retreat. And it's like you go to meals, and it's like all the young moms sit at one table because literally all they can talk about is like breastfeeding and sippy cups. Like, they've totally lost all personhood behind what they are now doing with their babies. And then, and I will not, you know, it's not like the singles are any better, because we're just, like, talking about work or about how angry we are that we're not, we don't have newborns or whatever, you know. So we're all just in our little cliques, and we're just mad at everyone else that they're not talking to us and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but it is so funny, because I remember having, um, we had this thing at church one time, uh, they called it Titus II, and you were supposed to be pairing up like younger women with older women for mentoring. And so I signed up, a couple of my friends and I signed up for a group, and the three of us, single, were paired with this woman, or were set up with this woman. And she had like teenage or get, getting towards young adultish um, boys. And our first night, she turns to us and she's like, ladies, I just want you to know that you terrify me. And we're like, we're off to a great start. Um, that's good. <laughs> Because this was supposed to be going on for like a year and a half. And we're like, we're going to have a year and a half of this. And, um, but it was really fascinating to hear her perspective because she said, you know, I just don't really know what to do with you. And her whole perception of us was that we lived these exciting jet set lives and all we did was these amazing careers and we just traveled everywhere and every weekend got manicures. And, and she actually said these words. She said, you know, and all I am is a stay-at-home mom. All I am is a stay-at-home mom. And so 
For those of us that are single in here, which is the majority, always keep your eyes open because you may think that you're being perceived as the second-class citizen, but so many other demographics feel like they have their own hurts and sadnesses as well. And they're looking across the fence and saying, no, if only I was single again, if only I was... I mean, I have heard some of the worst narratives about marriage from married people in my church, okay? Whether they are in a bad marriage or whether they just feel they lost some freedoms, wherever they are on that continuum, there's a lot of sadness and a lot of grief around that of what they wish they had or where they wish they were. And so to keep that, uh, keep that in mind and keep the conversation open in that sense. So um, I think also there's a perception, and this is, uh, tends to be, especially as you trend younger, you know, uh, millennials and beyond, and that is that the single adults in church are the takers, not the givers, um, which statistically is totally untrue. Um, single adults uh, give uh, at a rate often um, more frequent and more, um, just more in amount uh, in giving to nonprofits than their married counterparts and their older counterparts until you get up to like the greatest generation where they're just unloading assets, thank the Lord. They're keeping many of our ministries afloat. Um, but, um, uh, and then in, in time and in effort and in ministry as well, uh, single adults, uh, I'm uh, good friends with a guy named Don Munton. He's the singles pastor at First Baptist Houston. And uh, they have about 1,500 to 2,000 single adults in that church. Um, it's a church, for any of you who know, it's the one that Beth Moore went to for years and years until she felt she had to go to her son-in-law's church, whatever. So uh, he started a church plant. So anyway, but a huge church. And there are more new believers brought in through their singles ministry and more ministry done through their singles ministry than any other demographic in their church. So it is the largest source of folks coming to Christ as well as folks giving not only to the church but also to the community through the single adults. So let's go ahead and, and uh, debunk, debunk that myth. Um, of course, the opposite, you know, I like having the opposite. The opposite myth of that is that, you know, singles are and need to be the workhorses in the church because clearly we don't have anything else to do. So um, I've had, I remember someone asking me one time in a church I was in, and I was relatively new, and I can't, I don't even think they really got to know me at all, but they, they kind of like asked me a couple of questions about myself, and then they were like, so anyway, I was wondering, would you be willing to lead our Awana program? And I was like, oh my word, I've never even been in Awana. I don't, why do you think I'm qualified for Awana? And they're like, well, it's just really a huge time commitment. And we figured you would have the time. <laughs> of course I have the time because I'm single, you know. So, um, so feeling like, you know, that's kind of all we have to do is, is uh, plug into stuff because surely we have, uh, we have the time. And uh, I think it, you know, again, we tend to gravitate like to like. And so, and that's just, that's just the way it happens. I mean, that just is, is true. That's just the way it is. I mean, you, if you think to yourself, you know, your average church experience, um, maybe you have um, gone to church, and then after church, you're kind of wondering, okay, who, you know, who can I do lunch with? Who can I get to know? What kind of small group am I going to be part of? It's tricky because the families, you know, we try to integrate, but the families are kind of loading up in their minivans, and they're going home, and they're just, you know, wrecked, you know, from keeping their kids together for two hours. And then you're just kind of like, I just want to like talk to people today or do something or whatever. And it's why I kind of have this love. I, you know, one of, the, one of the questions I get asked most often is, what's your opinion of singles groups? 
And I have this love-hate relationship with singles groups because I feel like that we have to, you have to have your tribe. I mean, most of us, if you're single, you have moved here from somewhere else for a job or for school or whatever. You need a tribe. The people that are going home, like, with their spouses, you know, they're probably going to, like, figure out their week or do something, you know, whatever. But you need to have your people that are your, you know, I, I say just kind of generally classifying it, you know, they're your ride to the airport. They're your chicken soup when you're sick. They're not just your, like, stand, you know, social group. Um, they're the ones that are really going to kind of start standing with you and doing life with you. You need those people. And sometimes those are found through singles groups or small groups or whatever. I'm all for it. But I'm also hugely for integrating singles into the life of the church. And if that can be done well, and if you can get both sides of that coin and do both of those well, you're going to see that it's very life-giving to both the singles and the marrieds in your church. Um, Because we have a lot to learn from one another. You know, so many singles, you know, just take the the whole marriage prep thing again. Um, we, We aspire to someday be married and have a family. Well, we're not going to learn what that's about by hanging out with all our peers and just blind leading the blind and just griping about how we're all single, okay? So we need to figure out the people in our church who are doing marriage and doing family well and just start doing life with them and figuring out, you know, not perfectly, but what does it look like to just be at home and like folding some laundry and like fighting with your spouse, but then like reconciling and being okay with that and being, you know, living out the gospel at home, um, And in the same way, you know, marrieds have so much that they can learn from us in trusting God. When we are, when when you have got God alone to walk through something with you, um, you know, what does that look like? And um, I often uh, tell people, you know, because people will think a lot of single adults will come to me and they'll say, okay, if I were just, you know, if I were just married, then my life could start, and then my XYZ problems would be solved, and then I would have, or at least I would have someone to walk through all my problems with and stuff, and I say, that is true. You are probably having to trust God with a bunch of things right now, and singleness may be one of them, but everyone is trusting God with something, multiple things probably at once, and if you're not trusting God with singleness, you're probably going to trust God with you know, what's the next step? Maybe infertility, or maybe a a lot of trouble in your marriage, maybe a rebellious teen, maybe financial hardship. You don't know what God is going to allow in your life, and you've got to be ready with a community around you to walk through that. Um, uh, You know, Jason was alluding to my tragedies in the past couple months. Um, It has been horrible. Um, When I I was going to come here in November, that morning, I woke up with vertigo and was throwing up and whatever, and at the same time, I received word that my brother-in-law here in town died. And so, um, walked through all that, and then now, uh, in December and January, my mom, I've been in the ER six times in three and a half weeks with my mom and my sister. My other single sister came here for Christmas and ended up in the hospital for a month, being diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease. Um, my mom was in the hospital uh, three days ago. She was near death. Um, she has bounced back. So now I'm like, God, what are you doing with mom? Um, but just a lot, of, a lot of things going on. And it has been my community of not only my, my single girls, you know, I've got friends here and stuff, but the church that has, that has come around me and made walking through this possible. But it's not like oh my word, now I have this crazy tragedy. I need to call 30 random people in my church who I've never talked to before and hope that they're going to help me. No, it has been building the relationships over the past years, several years now, 
with them so that when I hit rock bottom, all of a sudden they're like, Lisa, you know, they know my story, they know where I am, they know my mom, they know that she's lived with me, they know that blah, 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 and they just jumped in. And all of a sudden it became meals and it became rides and it became people sitting with me in the hospital and it became people walking through the grief of feeling like I'm all alone in this. And so it, um, that is a whole other talk about the value of friendship specifically and community as a single person. Um, I know so many people that are like, I'm going to clear all that out when I get married. I'm going to start making, you know, friends. I'll marry an extrovert and then we'll get to know people. Um, you know, just all these like assumptions of how it's just going to like work, you know. And it doesn't, it never just works, you guys. You will, you will trend towards isolation unless you dig in and start getting into people's lives and start moving toward community. And that means both single, both your peers um, as well as people who are in different life stages than you, because they will, they will have to show up uh, for you. So, um, so I just want to walk through a couple things here and check my time. Um, just a couple things that I think single adults need from the church, and then I'll probably kind of give the, you know, vice versa little aspect of it too, and I've touched on a couple of these. One thing that single adults need um, is, is kind of to be seen and heard. Um, now, again, I think you guys are in a little bit of a favorable boat here because just critical mass-wise, you guys are a young adult demographic that tends to be... I mean, I, I hear from people at Boundless all the time who are like, I am one of three single adults in my church. And I mean, these are like larger churches. I'm, you know, so now I need to go and I need to go find community elsewhere. I need to go figure out, I need to drive to the next town over or whatever. Um, so critical mass, I think, in this city and in this church in particular is helpful. But um, to be seen and heard when I talk to church leadership and I talk to marrieds and others, it really is, you know, go, go after that single adult who you know has some kind of, um, you know, some kind of capital that they're going to bring into your community and bring into your church and bring, I mean, to, to have a voice, um, not just as a consumer, but as a, uh, someone who's going to contribute, what does that look like? And it may not be, now what I would say to, to all y'all is um, they may not do that. You know, they may not do that. If I, if I were talking to all marrieds here or all older folks, you know, I would, I would hit that really hard. But if they don't do that, it is your responsibility to step into that space. If you are, I always say, you know, um, when I talk to church leadership, I'm like, if you have some like 30-year-old guy in your church who's a CPA and he's not like on your finance committee is total like, you know, wreck. And you don't have, you haven't even approached him about utilizing his skills and gifts in that. You need to figure out what the people in your church are about. Now, he may be all about something else and passionate about something else, and he's like, I just want to be a CPA during the week, or whatever. I'm not going to get into particulars about who wants to serve in what way. Um, I fully believe the Holy Spirit is capable of getting us there. But if you know that you're about something, and you have special skills, talents, giftings, something that you're about, you need to step forward with that, and not just wait around for someone to invite you into that space. You need to be the one that's leading forward in that. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, you, you join, you know, the, the first church you're part of or that you just come here and like glom onto people and be super needy or weird or be like, in order to feel okay, I need to be on 10 committees or, you know, be in 12 small groups or whatever. Um, 
but to really know what you're about and to really pray and ask God to lead you in that direction of like, what is, what's the best place for me to serve and to think about um, giving proactively and very intentionally in that sense. And then um, through that, so many relationships, I think, are, are formed as a result. Um, but being seen and heard, and that means, um, you know, sharing uh, not only giftings, but sharing of yourself as well. How many people in your community here know a significant part of your story? You know, and again, I'm not saying don't lead out with total weirdness and just splay out all your, your past and all your sin issues and stuff, but, you know, who, who like, knows you? Are you just walking on the periphery um, kind of trying to test the waters, or have you really gone, you know, John Acuff says, give that gift of going second to someone. Be the first person to lead with your story and with some of your stuff and some of your struggles, and then invite them in to share um, in a back and forth. And so um, to be seen and heard is really important. Um, I talked a little bit about the, um, you know, not being scuttled off into, into singles groups or single small groups, but in integrating. And I think that is so important to be invited um, within the church into someone, else's, into someone else's space. I would also say that needs to happen outside the church. So, uh, for example, um, I often tell, tell marrieds when I talk to them, what does it look like for you to really um, invite a single adult into your world? And so it may be, you may think your world is totally unglamorous and that's okay, you know, let us decide, okay? Maybe I want to fold some laundry with you, okay? Um, <laughs> but, um, but again, I think there's this misperception that, you know, oh, well, my single friends, they, you know, they only do exciting things and I only do really boring things and so they might not want to be in my space. And that's not true. Sometimes doing really exciting things gets really old <laughs> and uh, is exhausting and, quite frankly, expensive. So... Um, <laughs> I, I will never forget one of my coworkers. Um, she and her husband, we, we all worked together, and we had been talking about this movie we wanted to see, and it was their anniversary, and we're all at work, and they're like, Lisa, let's go out and do this movie. And I'm like, it is your anniversary, that is super weird. And they're like, you know what, we'll go do our anniversary another night, you come with us, let's do this movie. So we went out, not only did we do the movie, we went to dinner beforehand, he paid for the whole bill, so I got to be this like awesome third wheel on their anniversary dinner slash movie date, but they didn't make me feel weird about it at all. They were like, we love you, we think you're so, we want to hang out with you, we'll do our anniversary, whatever, it doesn't matter, but tonight, let's do this, and it was just, I felt so included and so valued, and just, you know, the fact that they reached out to me and said, no, we want you to be part of this, and we know that you've wanted to see this movie, and let's all do it and stuff. So um, being, being invited into that space was so, so huge for me. Um, similarly, you know, just for, um, for family dinners or for holidays, you know, I think a lot of um, times we, like, hit Thanksgiving, and then the married people in church are like, oh, my word, I'll probably have to invite some single people for Thanksgiving because they won't have anywhere to go, and so this is my one time in the year when I have to, like, reach out. Um, but if, again, if we're doing that throughout the year, then we can see that, you know, then, then the holidays and all that stuff become less awkward. It's not like, oh, okay, now here's the one time where I have to do that. But, again, this is where the conversation goes both ways. You know, what does it look like for us to invite people into our homes or invite people into our space or be like the person who, you know, 
oh my goodness, young mom, I'm sure you've made like a million meals in the past 30 days. Why don't you guys just come over and I'm going to make something. Let's just chat. Let's just hang out. Let's do, um, you know, let's play a game or something. Um, you know, it, it, I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to show and, and to debunk this myth that, again, that we're just like somehow stunted or immature or we can't, we can't give, you know, and that's just not true. Uh, so to have those folks in our space, I think, is, um, is huge. Um, I think also, and again, this is, um, I don't know how many folks are, are here in, in leadership or whatever, but um, take notes and just tell your leaders, whatever. You can tell Jason, whatever. Um, I think single adults also need to see ourselves in sermon illustrations. We need to see, you know, again, like if you've ever had the pastor that just every single week, it's like, so my toddler did this, and, my daughter, and you're just sitting there like flatlining because um, you're not. But to have, to have those kind of examples and those kind of illustrations are huge. I remember one of my pastors at church, um, there's always the kind of the pastoral prayer at the front end of the service, and he was praying for all the families, and I'm just like starting to doze off. And, um, and then he said something like, and we just really want to pray for our single adults, that they would find family here, that they would find meaning and purpose in their work, in their relationships, blah, blah, blah. And I just like perked up. I'm like, I think he said single adults. Oh my goodness, he prayed for me. It was a, um, so just realizing that and remembering that and not thinking of, you know, the single adults as precursors, you know, like pre-marrieds or whatever, you know, like, okay, we are valuing them for their marriage potential, and then once they get married, then they're really going to start being valuable in the church. That's just not true, Um, because some of us, you know, like I said, 87% at some point are going to get married, but some people never will, and as we know, statistically, that season of singleness is, uh, is extending now, and so many uh, young adults, in fact, uh, the millennial generation, which is now the largest generation in history, outpacing the boomers, um, only 24% of millennials are married at this point. So uh, that is not many. (laughs) Um, You know, I run young adults that focus on the family, and I'm getting ready to present to our executives next week and share that statistic because focus on the family does not just mean people who have toddlers. Um, The family is broader than that. And single adults, I'm a great example of that, are pouring into the lives of parents now and nieces and nephews and other people in the church and people that they've uh, kind of taken into their sphere or you are wrapping your arms around foster families that you know uh, just that entire space we need to broaden that definition of what the family is certainly uh, in the church as well um, you know and, and so I think that kind of plays into that whole idea of um, getting you know I, I mentioned service but getting into leadership not putting yourself at the kids table not being the person who's going to be that um, the flaky person who doesn't commit or who says you know well let me check my calendar in 12 months and I'll get back to you or whatever but being the person who's like no I'm there I will be there you can count on me I'm going to offer something um, and again whether that is in the church context or whether that's within families and the relationships you have that is really important um, I think also, single adults in the church need to be enfolded and served. And so, um, you know, I talked about our need to give, um, but what does it mean for us to receive as well? And that's something that's very hard for us to do. Um, I would like to think, you know, I always, uh, I, I tend to be very self-sustaining, although now, as my life has spiraled out of control, I can no longer do it. Um, 
But I used to be the one that was like, it's okay, I don't even know, I don't know anything about this, but I'm just going to Google it, or I'm just going to, I, like I have women, uh, some of my girlfriends, one of them was like doing a wiki how on how to like fix a carburetor. I'm like, you don't know anything about carburetors, why are you sitting here like looking into this instead of just asking someone who probably would be amazing with a carburetor, you know, whether like a guy in your church or someone, whether single or married, whatever. Um, but to give, every time I talk, especially in the dating space, and I talk about, like, you know, guys, raise your hand if you like to be asked your opinion on something. And, like, 99.9% of the guys raise their hands. You know, if you would like to shine at something you do well, raise your hand. And all the guys raise their hand. And none of the women are asking for any help on anything. We're just Googling things and screwing things up and then paying, like, $700 to fix what we messed up. So it's like, you know... Let's learn, to, um, let's learn to receive. And I know that, you know, women, it's like you just have a small, you have a book study, 79 women are going to show up and they're going to drink coffee and eat snacks and just be, ama- you know, it's going to be amazing. Guys are like, they have to be invited one by one. They need another guy to be like, dude, come on, let's do this. And then they're like, okay, I'll go do this. You know, and they'll go, eat or do something or, you know, whatever. Um, I, I remember a guy, a uh, friend of mine, one of the guys at church, and he, I, I, think my, I think this friend of mine is still just like stymied about how this happened, but uh, a guy in our church, a pro, I don't even know how he got to know him, but he just approached him and said, you know, I saw that you were kind of new to the church. I, you know, think I would like to get to know you a little more. Um, I have a couple breakfasts open, like Wednesday or Friday mornings, pick one and let's do it. My friend, Kyle, was so flabbergasted. I don't even think he knew what to do with that, so he just accepted it. He, just, <laughs> he was just like, he's like, okay, older boomer man who I don't know, uh, who I think may be an usher, but I haven't really seen you ever. Um, so he's just like, okay, I think I can do Friday. And they have now met every Friday for almost 10 years. And so to, to just give it a chance and to take an invitation, and sometimes you may be the one that has to invite. And you don't go after that person and you don't say, hello, I need to be mentored in all aspects, aspects of adulthood. No, that will freak that person out, or they think they need to do like a full-on Bible study with you, and then they're not going to do it or whatever. But you just go and you say, I heard that you're really good with finances, and I don't even have a budget, and my life is screwed up. Can you help me? That's like a one-time attainable thing, and then if you're a crazy person, they can just kind of like let you go. Um, But they can at least help you with that one thing, but then if you're normal, they may want to like continue, okay? So there's like hope for that, okay? Um, Because, you know, we're all afraid. I'm always the one who like with friendships is like, I just like it to happen organically. Please don't pursue me intentionally, because if you're really weird, I won't know how to shake you off. Um... (laughs) But so I always give these like platitudes about, no, let's just, you know, let's just work in this space and see what God does. And I'm always super vague. And then I have to get called out on that. So, um, but it is so true. But likewise, again, the two-way street, go into people's lives that you know. I mean, who are the people, the oldsters in your life that you, I mean, they have stuff that they need to know. They don't know how to Skype their grandkids. They don't know how to set up a Facebook page. They don't know they're like all freaking out, you know, about stuff like that. You can help them and step into that space and be like, well, let me help you with that. Or let me, you know, and then you just start chatting with them in the process. And then you get to know them. And then you realize they know a ton of stuff that you don't. And so it kind of, again, goes both ways. Um, I've had some of the most success, especially when it comes to 
um, you know, sharing my frustrations in the, in the dating world, um, many of which I share in the book. You got, if you think your dating life is horrible, be encouraged because what you read in my book will make you feel good about yourself, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest because my most common response from married people when I talk about my dating experience is just, thank God I am married. Like, they are just, they're like, I, if I ever had to be in the dating pool again, I don't even know what I would do. These people, they're just, like, completely terrified of where dating is today, even in Christian circles, okay? Um, but it's a great, it's a fun way to, um, to start conversations with folks because they're interested. They want to, you know, especially those boomers or empty nesters, maybe they've got kid, young adult kids and they don't know what to do with them either. And, you know, my son is still living at home and I can't kick him out and, you know, stuff. And so they want to kind of get those, uh, that, that second set of ears on a, on a situation. Um, so I think it's, you know, again, it's, it's very... There, there are a lot of challenges, and you all know, there are a lot of challenges with being a single adult. But there are just a lot of challenges with being a, a Christian in our culture. In being, you know, I was telling you about how just the, the families, the women that I've talked to who are so frustrated with their lives. They've got, you know, I, um, I talk a lot about the challenges of loneliness and singleness. But I'm like, I know so many married people who are lonely, I mean, and to be lonely in a marriage is so much worse than being lonely as a single person out there. You know, I mean, it's um, to, feel like, to feel like you were given... The other thing, I, you know, when I have... Uh, one of the saddest things I hear is when someone who, you know, is single who's been divorced comes up to me. And I, I mean, people will say to me, Lisa, I'm pretty sure that God gave me one shot and I messed it up. And so now I'm just like a has-been and there's no chance for me. And God's going give to you know, give someone spouses to all the other people who still haven't screwed stuff up. But for me, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty much done. And why would God give me a second chance? And I'm like, God is not working within a limited economy, y'all. Um, so I had, you know, it was kind of a, a season or a little process for me to understand that, to realize that I, I had a, a season... Um, had to be five or six years ago now, where in a year and a half, I had 14 friends get married. That was super expensive, you guys. Um, I was in some of those weddings. I attended most of them. Some of them were out of state, you know, so you got... um, But it was so funny because I felt like going into that, I was so fearful that I was going to wrestle with a lot of bitterness. Like this idea of like, why would God let them get married? And I'm still single and, you know, for crying out loud, I host like an international podcast for single people. Like people, people tell me, maybe you just need to put yourself out there. I'm like, if I am not out there, I don't know really what to do at this point. I mean, I I have listeners in Hong Kong for crying out loud. I mean, I think I'm kind of out there. Um, But I was just so nervous, like, you know, and I had to be reminded that like, by, by giving my friends husbands, he was not denying me one. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I've got someone great for all your friends, but Lisa, I don't know what to do with that one. I don't, know what, I don't know if I'll ever find someone for her, and let me just even count down how many single men there are within 200 miles of her and see. You know, it's like God is not limited in his resources, um, whether that is related to dating or a spouse or your future job prospects or how you're going to plug into your local church or who you're going to get to know or what kind of friends you're going to have, what kind of community you're going to have. God is not limited in that. He is infinite 
in that. And, uh, and so I think t- for us to realize that, wow, you know, we can step forward boldly. We can be assured that God has got a great story for us. Um, we didn't even delve into the whole aspect of like sexuality and stuff. But I just want, I mean, I, I can't remember if I said this Saturday in November, but I will never forget hearing John Piper talk and sharing about a guy who, I think he was doing a talk on some purity, some form of purity, whatever, you know, purity talks, whatever. Um, I feel like we all got purity talks in junior high and then it just became silent. And now they're like, let's just navigate this space on your own. Um, but John Piper was talking about it. And afterwards, this 25-year-old guy came up to him and he said, Dr. Piper, I just want you to know that I have remained a virgin up till now and I'm going to give God until I'm 30. But when I turn 30, all bets are off because that is ridiculous for me to enter my 30s as a virgin. First of all, who even says that to John Piper? Okay? I mean, he just set himself up for a world of hurt, okay? Because you know, you know that he got some kind of smackdown off of that. But secondly, how sad is that? Because it's not even about sex. At that point, all he is doing is looking at his life in this limited lens of a story that God doesn't have control over, God doesn't care about, God is not sovereign related. I mean, he's just, all he has is this five-year span of something better happen here because then I just have to have sex. I mean, when when did our sexuality become the biggest thing about us? That's what I want to know. You know, my friends, my my gay and lesbian friends, they just talk to me like, I have friends from high school, I have friends from college, and they know I work at Focus on the Family, which let me just tell you how interesting that conversation gets. But but it's just like, that's how they are identifying themselves. And I'm like, you are so much more than that. I am not... I am a single person. I can't have sex either. None of us can have, (laughs) you know, if if a biblical mandate and a biblical script is what we're looking at, you know, this is where we are and we're looking at our identities like this is just like the biggest thing and this is all we have going for us in our lives and this is how we have to script it out and stuff and there is so much for us, so much more for us to be about and so I want us to be encouraged in that and to lean in, I mean, find other single people in your sphere to lean into, to get to know, to learn to love, uh, to learn to give to, and then find other people um, who are outside of this life stage, the married folks, the older folks, the ones who are, you know, I, I love hanging out with, with oldsters. I just think they are so cute, and they have so much to give, and I, oh my goodness, I mean, I just think, you know, I, I mean, now they are nearing the end of their lives and you know my mom is in that space and stuff and just realizing that they are a they are a population that I can care for that I can give to and and that I mean if you if you have parents or family in this space read Timothy 5 first uh, Timothy 5 um, you will be slain because when I realized that it said it is the responsibility of children and grandchildren to care for your parents your grandparents I was like um, I think that's pretty clear you know, and so what does it look like for me to turn the tables and start uh, pouring back in, in that way? And that happens, uh, can happen throughout the church as well. So um, I want to just cut it off here and give time for questions because I know this is where we get into the nitty gritty. So I'm counting on you all to be honest and to ask questions and not be all weird about it or, you know, at, ask for a friend if you need to. It's good. Um, but I thought it would be fun to kind of get a little practical about some of the challenges you guys are are facing. So, who has a question? Yeah. Thank you very much. Sure. Any 
Oh, yes. Oh, see, I knew you were going to have to tell me. Okay, so the question is, one, what is our responsibility, you know, in moving towards maturity and kind of shoring up some of the things that we have and, and issues and whatever? And second, he's heard that, you know, Christian women think guys are weird, and so <laughs> how do they know that, and, and what do they do with it? Yeah. Right, okay. Well, I'll put it a little bit on the women. So I would say... Um, <laughs> Because some of it's perception. I mean, some of it. And I would say, just to answer like that one, the, the second half of your question, you know, you say guys are weird. I would say generally the consensus is guys are passive and lame. Women are catty and crazy. Those are the biggest generalizations that I hear. And so we have to kind of work through unpacking some of that. But first off, I want to say everyone, if you are an adult or moving into adulthood, and, you know, let's not say that that starts at 29, folks. Um, you are all adults at this point. We are all responsible for growing and maturing. And that means in life, that means in our faith, that means in our relationships, emotionally, spiritually, all of that. So you don't, you know, it's, it's not like you're segmenting it and just saying, okay, well, you know, at this point, when I, when I start, when I get engaged, then I'm going to have to, like, figure out how to do relationships. No. We, I mean, there are so many things, and we talk about this a lot at Boundless, um, what it means to know and apply a biblical worldview, to be involved in a local church, to know how to do relationships beyond dating relationships. So do you know how to communicate? Do you know how to do conflict well? Have you owned your issues, the stuff that you inherited from your parents and the stuff that you have brought on yourself? Have you done hardcore counseling on stuff that you need counseling for, been in spiritual life groups where people know your stuff and they're helping you work through them, gotten accountability on stuff, do you know what it means to serve and to lead, all of that stuff, it doesn't matter what your relationship status is, we're all supposed to be moving towards that, one, that will grow us up in our faith and as adults, two, uh, it makes you more dateable, people, because people want to marry healthy people, okay, so you will attract the type of person that you are, okay, um, as far as the guy-girl question, um, you know, I kind of gave the, the generalizations. I think you have got to be, God, this is a, I don't necessarily have a verse for this, but I just feel like God likes to steer moving objects, okay? So this idea that you are, you are growing, you have forward momentum, you, you know, on the guys, I pull out Proverbs 18.22 a lot. He who finds a wife finds what is good and finds favor with the Lord. Not he who is sitting at home with Xbox and his buddies eating pizza and just saying, where's that girl that I thought I was going to marry? No, it is a proactive and purposeful pursuit. You know, and ladies, you have to trust. My friend Carolyn McCulley, one of the best um, quotes I have ever heard on the role of men and women in relationships. Men trust God by risking and women trust God by waiting. We flip those roles because women decide that men aren't doing anything, so we have to step in and get all up in their business and malign them and be, you know, you guys are so stupid and bleh. Um, and then the guys are like, I'm not going to touch you with a 10-foot pole because you're crazy um, and mean, and I don't want to sit around all day just being nagged at, you know. Um, but, but it is a very purposeful pursuit, and, and women, it doesn't mean that we just sit with our hands folded, you know, and don't do anything. Um, we have a lot of responsibility in relationship well, as well in, um, in being inviters and in being the person who's going to respond with kindness and being the person who, you know, is, um, you know, not just traveling with their pack of girlfriends. Uh, 
I think I use this example in November too, the, um, you know, the women who go to like a, a friend's wedding and then they move out in a pack on the dance floor. And the, the author who said this in her book described it as like witches dancing around a cauldron. And it's like, what guy is going to bust into that space, you know, because you're just like with your pack, you know, and they're just like moving like this. So, um, I mean, it's again, it's relational skills and learning how to do that well and be open and, and uh, humble in that. So good question. All right. What, who has another question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. The question is, um, what what is the the mandate and the plan for ministries and churches reaching older singles, especially given the um, the percentage of folks who are are single? So I would say yes. Um, that is a challenge, especially because of those who are single again, and again, like you said, um, you know, moving into the, the older sphere, the older demographics. Um, it is a challenge because I think that it has to be a both and. It has to be church leadership recognizing that there's a need for that, and then folks who are in that space being really willing to ask for it and become part of it and lead towards that. Now, I would say you know, if you're part of a large church, that's probably a luxury in that sense. I always tell, regardless of age, I always tell singles, if you're in a church where you're just not getting that fellowship or you're not seeing kind of momentum behind that kind of ministry, don't be afraid to look citywide and to make something happen. I've never talked to a pastor of a small church who is like, I don't want any of my singles having fellowship outside of this church or doing anything outside the church. No, they would be very grateful for that happening. You can still go to your church, worship, give there, serve there, whatever, but there's nothing wrong with looking for or creating uh, cross-church small groups or social groups or events or whatever. I think there's a lot of potential for that. Boundless, the challenge in Boundless is that we have just had to narrow our focus so much. So um, because we have college students in our sphere, all of a sudden to meet all the needs of like college through, you know, if we went up to like 60s or something, all of a sudden there's just a vast um, chasm of unique needs and stuff. I think there is some momentum for something at focus um, for older singles happening. We see the need a lot. Um, It tends to be, uh, because at Boundless we deal outside the relationship sphere Uh, in addition to relationships. So we do so much on uh, vocation and career and money, all those things that they have to, you know, and then our our 60-year-old, you know, single friends are like, "Uh, no, I I have a job. I know how to do that. You know, so um, I know how to do all that too. But it is a challenge. I agree with what you're saying that, you know, I think it's, we need to get momentum behind that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other challenge too is as you get, this happened at Village 7 too. I'll call out my own church. I was part of a group that was primarily Generation X singles. And then as our group, um, you know, aged 30s uh, into early 40s, it was almost like, um, one, you have to constantly identify and address unhealthiness in your group, okay? So with our group, it was all of a sudden, all the women were leading everything, doing everything, and then you know, the guys would show up or whatever. And it was our leadership that said, you guys need to create a vacuum and either the guys are going to step into it or they're not. And you need to let this thing either die a natural death or it becomes something else. The church actually put energy and resources behind starting a young 20-something group. 
And so ours, our group kind of died out. They actually removed like elder support and stuff like that, which was a big brouhaha and we were all bitter and, and whatever. Um, so that was a whole other issue. But where I think they did it right is that um, a group shouldn't be allowed to sustain if there's unhealthiness in the group where, you know, I think uh, as you start trending, people have to take responsibility, again, for their own spiritual growth, for participation, for, and if it's like four people just trying to hang on to this group and keep it alive, they're going to get killed, they're going to completely burn out, um, you know, and it's not going to attract new healthy folks into the group. And so, um, I always say that even in, in starting a, a singles group or small group or whatever, um, usually, and I mean, I, I hope this doesn't sound like offensive to women again, because uh, usually the women will show up. If you have healthy guys in the group, you will attract both healthy women and healthy guys. If you have healthy women in the group, you will not necessarily get the guys. You'll get the ones that come to do a drive-by and scam on the women, and then they'll go out again and stuff. But the ones that really want to plug in and serve and stuff... You need to get healthy, spiritually grounded, spiritually mature men who are going to be public faces of the group to say, guys, we have something for you here, and then you'll perpetuate both sexes being part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, first of all, it's really hard. It's not going to necessarily be one conversation. Um, because you will find, but what I would encourage you to always have in your mind, though, is that it is rarely done intentionally to offend or to marginalize. It is usually someone who, bless their heart, got married at 21. That is just all they know. And they, if they have a great marriage, they want all the more for you to have what they have. And so they're just going to be very aspirational for you. Very, you know, this is where my mom is. You know, I was married 50 years and it was so wonderful and I want that for you. And why are you just still single? And, um, and, and so it's kind of approaching that, you know, like you said, in a very kind, winsome way. Sometimes, you know, a little humor helps when you have the, the weird... Uh, I wrote an article not too long ago where I talked about navigating singleness around the holidays. And it's kind of like... You know, you've got Christmas, where you go to all the Christmas parties, and it's like, hey, how's your love life? You know, and I'm like, no one ever asks that of married people. Like, it's always the single people. Like, it's open season on the single people. I never turn to my married friends at a Christmas party, and I'm like, is your sex life good? Is it going, going okay? How, how are things? How are things working out? But somehow, like, I'll be in a group of, like, 10 or 12 people. We're all sitting with our Christmas cookies, and it's like, Lisa, how's the love life? How's the dating? You know? Um, so sometimes you have to diffuse it with a little humor or be, but really I think a lot of that groundwork is done in the, in the smaller conversations, in the day-to-day life stuff. And to say, you know, for, for people, one thing you may want to tell your married friends, the best question I think that they can ask single people is just, how can I pray for you? Because it allows that person to share as much or as little as they would like to in that space it allows them to, you know, even give them a couple of suggestions for conversation topics, stuff that you want to talk about, whether it's things you need prayer for or just stuff. You know, give your single friends conversation that they can win at. So maybe it's career, maybe it's, you know, just favorite vacation places. Maybe, it, you know, don't make it about like, tell me about, you know, what you would do if you managed to get married or, you know, whatever, because then we're just all awkward and we don't know how to enter that space. But for you to be the leader in that, be a little self-deprecating in it, and also ask them just to say, what do you love about being married? What would you, you know, tell me about your, what was some of the hardest stuff when you were dating? You know, what would you say are some things that I should be aware of? Give them a chance to open up and then allow them to then 
respond in, in a way that gives you a chance to lead with where you are in life. So, and the, and the question there was, ah, how do we start these conversations with married people um, to be winsome in the way we talk about singleness? Yeah, not marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, uh, as to repeat the statistic on singleness. So for the first time in U.S. history, there are more single adults than married. So this is not counting kids. It's not, I mean, this is truly single adults. So it's right at about the 51% mark. It's, it's reached the tipping point. Um, now, a lot of that is because singleness is being protracted. So we have moved from uh, ages 20 and 22, female, male, for first a- or age at first marriage, to about 27 and 29 in two generations. So we are staying single longer. Now that doesn't mean, when I ask everyone to raise your hand if you're single, doesn't mean people aren't in relationships. We've seen cohabitation rise. We've seen, I mean, what's happening is a lot of single people are in these go-nowhere relationships that are just self perpetuating and dying on the vine, but they're living together, they're whatever. But marriage itself, the actual marriage statistic is, yeah, um, fewer married people than... And of course, as you go down in the generation, that's why I had the stat about um, the number of millennials that are married being only 24%, because as you, as you get younger, yeah, you're going to see a lot more single adults there, for sure, in that space. Yeah. All right, any other questions? I think we have a couple more minutes. Yeah. So the question is, how do we maintain, how do we grow and maintain healthy friendships with the opposite sex if they're not a dating relationship, especially as we, um, you know, as we're single and and getting older? Um, There are about three people in the world who can do that well. Um, (laughs) The rest of us are horrible at it. Um, I will just be honest. No, um, no, I mean, it's like the million dollar question because so many people are just like, how do I do that? You know, and you'll hear Christian leaders be like, absolutely not. You cannot have friendships with the opposite sex because you'll probably end up sleeping together. And then the other end of the spectrum is everyone should just be friends and we should all just be able to be adults and handle this and stuff. And somewhere in the middle is like where none of us are. Um, (laughs) So here, I'll try to be, I'll try to be brief because I feel like I could talk about three hours on this. I would say my general advice is that we should all have healthy relationships with the opposite sex on a number of different spheres. However, I think that when it trends towards becoming um, intimate friends with the opposite sex, it, it cannot work. Practically speaking, it cannot work because either you're going to trend towards um, what I call, I have an extensive section on this in the book, what I call the friendlationship where people start out as friends, they both have very altruistic motives, but then one person starts like-liking the other person. And they're like, I don't know how this happened, now I like them. So then they're going to hang on to this relationship. And this is how, you know, every 80s rom-com starts this way, you know, where they either hate each other, um, but then they're going to end up married by the end of the movie, or, you know, they lock eyes across a Starbucks, and oh my goodness, how'd this, it hit me like the flu, how'd this happen? Um, So... The one person, like, you know, say I'll, I'll call her Ashley, she starts like-liking Ben, but Ben is clueless, but Ashley's going to hang on because eventually he'll wake up and see what's right in front of him, um, but he's not. 
But so she's going to continue kind of just investing in his life. And so, you know, well, she's going to help him redecorate his living room because she's so great at that. And then he'll see how domestic she is. And, you know, maybe she'll, I mean, I've had friends who have done guys' laundry. I've done, you know, all kinds of, all manner of nuttiness. Um, meanwhile, they are getting more and more emotionally connected. Um, they are, you know, they've got designated ringtones. They're just like, they know each other's favorite Starbucks drink. They've got, are all in each other's business, whether spiritually or emotionally or whatever. And then this goes on, um, you know, say maybe a couple years, and then Ben comes to Ashley, and he's like, hey, I was wondering what you, um, you know, what you thought about Lindsay at church. And she's like, Lindsay who? And he's like, that new girl. And she's like, oh, I think she's okay. And he's like, yeah, because I'm going to ask her out. And then Ashley just enters um, a massive depression uh, and either starts, like, eating Ben and Jerry's or screaming or something, because now this whole dream that she built up about Ben in her head has come crashing down. He has never had any intention of asking her out or making this relationship anything real. I had a, um, a friend who did that for seven years uh, with a guy, and after seven years had to break up from a non-relationship with him. And it was like a divorce for her. It took her two years to get over because she'd put so much stock in it. So that said, the opposite side of the coin how can we relate well with the opposite sex? Because so many relationships do start with friendship. And I think the way to do it is to be in community and live out relationships and be watchful of people and honoring of people as you are serving in the church, as you're in small groups, as you're in um, you know, mixed social settings, as you're at work. I mean, doing... I feel like serving alongside someone and getting to know them. You're not their accountability partner. You're not like doing hardcore prayer meetings with them one-on-one. You're not sharing emotional details about your life. Unless you think like, oh, okay, well, I'm not doing one-on-one stuff. I've had this happen in friend groups too. I had to break up from a friend group because it was these guys in the group and then this group of us girls and we just did all this stuff together because we had common interests and whatever. None of these guys, we realized, were ever going to ask any of us out. They were all online looking for women. But we're just all hanging out. And so finally, my friends and I were like, either other people are going to think we're dating these guys, so they're not going to ask us out, or just the sheer amount of like, time and energy and capital spent in this friends group. You know, and, like People will say, well, you know, I don't want to date anyone in this group because if it doesn't work out, it might mess up the friendship. Why are we so concerned about preserving all these friendships with opposite-sex people? I mean, this is not college anymore. Like, once you're, <laughs> once you're out of college, you need to, like, either move into the space. You're either going to move into a relationship with the opposite sex, or you need to invest in your, your girlfriends or your guy friends and then be able to, you know, just, just as a fellow believer, a brother and sister in Christ, relate to them, understand them, know them, you know, but all all done in a safer setting where you're not going to get emotionally entangled, is what I would say. So, and it, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean going up to someone and saying, hey, will you be my friend, but not really an intimate friend because we're opposite sex, you know. I mean, being all like, you know, like a, C, uh, yeah, weird kind of business analyst about it or anything. But um, to do it in, in the context of a group setting is a great way to start. So, yeah. Anyone else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my friend Juliana. Apparently, she hasn't heard me speak enough. She still has a question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is also something that only three people in the world do well. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so the only way you know you're going on a date with him is if he said this is a date. Okay? 
This is why, guys, you will be winning if you ask someone on a date and actually say the word date before this, okay? Um, I have gone out with guys where I thought it was a date, but then all of a sudden the check comes and it's just like sitting there, like this little eye looking at me, you know? And then I get super nervous because I'm like, maybe I better like make a move for it. And then he'll come in gallantly and like take it. And so I did. And he just let me take it and pay for it. Um, No joke. That's happened. Um, So I always say, guys, if you ask someone out on a date and you say, and this is not like I have been stalking you on social media for three years and I feel like we're meant to be with each other. This is like, you seem like an interesting person and I'd love to get you get to know you more. Would you like to do coffee or do lunch or whatever? Um, Would you like to go out with me and do this? You have a plan. You are planning to pay. You are not, yeah, so this isn't like, well, let's figure what's the time that works for you, whatever, you know, what do you want to do? No, don't put it on the other person. You have a plan. You say it's a date. You call it a date. By doing that, and, and just, you know, have a good time. Have, come with a few questions, you know, not a full-on, like, iPad with a bunch of, not an interrogation. <laughs> have them in your head, not written on your palm. I mean, just invest in that other person. Get to know them. I mean, I've been on dates with people where I'm like, oh, okay, we're on this date. And then all of a sudden, like, he's just talking for, like, an hour straight. And I'm like, are you on my show? Or I'll do that. Or I'll do the opposite. I'm, like, so nervous. I go into full-on, like, journalist mode, and I'm just asking them question after question, and they're just, like, deer in the headlights. Like, what are you trying to find out about me? Um, but just being natural, like, in your response and stuff is so, is so helpful for that. Um, If you do that, guys, you will have set yourself apart from 85% of the guys out there by actually saying something that is actually like calling it a date, actually putting yourself out there, and you taking the risk. You put your cards on the table. You say to her, I would be interested in getting to know you. Would you like to do dinner with me? She has the opportunity to respond, and you give her the safe space in which to do that. You don't try to hedge your bets. You don't go around all your buddies and say, can you ask her if maybe she would like to go out? You know, no, junior high, hi. Um, You ask, (laughs) you pay, you put it out there. It just shows that you are responsible, that you are willing to be protective of her as a sister in Christ. Um, That's another thing I want to say, too, just briefly, is anyone that you date, you are dating a fellow brother or sister in Christ. That person is going to be, that, like, like I say, you are dating someone's spouse. It may become your spouse, but you don't know that. And do you want to be in a relationship with them? You do want to be in a relationship with them that at some point you could sit next to them in this room if you were to break up and it would be cool. It's not going to be drama. No one has to go to a different church or even a different small group. No one has to be like shutting people out on Facebook and stuff because there's just so much drama and, oh, now we can't have the same group of friends and whatever. What in the world? All you are doing is exploring to see if there could be something else there. If there's not, you're both adults. You should be able to say that. Move on. God is sovereign. He knows who you're supposed to marry anyway, so don't worry about it, okay? Anyway, I got on the soapbox about that. So thank you guys so much for letting me be here. Oh, I was going to say, too, I did bring, um, I just have a, a book list. This is recommended reading of just stuff that I like for, like, life stuff, relationship. I've just broken it up. Um, one that I don't think I put on here that's a book that I'm just finished going through now um, is called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. 
Uh, best book on prayer I have ever read. If you want to be told that you, it is perfectly legitimate to pray selfishly, that God approaches you as a child, and you don't have to walk through like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which I did for years, and I just fizzled out at adoration because I was so just, I can't do it. Um, Awesome, awesome book about what it means to approach God as our Father and just be comfortable with him knowing that he knows our needs. So, um, yeah, and then I'll be up here to chat with any of you, and if you want to snag a book, it will totally fix your dating life. I mean, um, it didn't for me, but um, (laughs) I feel I have a lot for you guys in it. So, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks.